This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of From the Old Brewery, a podcast that focuses on the work of academics and researchers from the School of Language, Literature, Music and Visual Culture. I'm Shailini and I'm a second year PhD scholar doing an interdisciplinary study in creative writing and sociology. With me here today is my co-host Ian Grass. Hi Ian. Hello, nice to be back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also doing a PhD in creative writing. Uh, it's my third year now and regular host here for my sins on From the Old Brewery podcast and I'm looking forward today to talking to uh, t- two guests, the joint directors of the George Washington Wilson Centre for Art and Visual Culture, Dr. Sylvia Cassini, who's joining us remotely, and uh, Dr. Hans Sones, who's here with us here in the studio. Hi. Hello, delighted to be here. Good, good, good to join you. Hi. Hi. Uh, so Dr. Sylvia Cassini has published extensively in international journals and edited collections on visual culture of science and medicine. In her last monograph, published by MIT Press in 2021, Giving Bodies Back to Data, she reframes existing narratives of biomedical innovation emphasizing the crucial but overlooked roles played by aesthetics, effectivity, and craft practice in medical visualization. She now co-coordinates the Intercalated Medical Humanities undergraduate program at the University of Aberdeen. Hans Hannes is a lecturer in art history at the University uh, here at Aberdeen. Uh, prior to joining here, he held teaching and research positions at the Courtauld Institute, UCL, the Warburg Institute London, and LMU Munich. He has published extensively on the history of art historiography and art theory. His latest book, A Biography of the Art Historian Abby Warburg, is forthcoming with uh, Rictian Books. So welcome both. Nice to have you here in the studio. Feeling good? Thank you. Yes, looking forward to the conversation. Well, just to start then, could one or either of you tell us a little bit more uh, about the George Washington, about George Washington Wilson himself, that the centre takes its name from, and then perhaps just a little bit about each of your roles uh, in the centre and uh, your interests, sort of how your own interests sort of um, play within that. So George Washington Wilson was a Scottish photographer in the 19th century. He's from Aberdeen, one of the leading practitioners of his time, and he built one of the most uh, successful photography businesses of the era. Um, What we find really interesting about him, well, for once, his collection and archive is in the university special collections, but what we find even more fascinating, perhaps, is the way that he cut across high art and what's commonly called visual culture. So on the one hand side, he was one of the court photographers of Queen Victoria when she was in Balmoral, Mm -hmm. so close to the monarchy, high status commissions. But on the other hand side, he also had a prolific business that just churned out thousands of photographs for the mass market. And Sylvia and I come from two different disciplines, art history and visual culture. And what we find interesting about George Washington Wilson is how he, as a figure, unites these two areas that are often considered separate. Okay, so that that gives you almost a template for the centre itself, I guess. And perhaps something to add uh, in light of what you're just saying, Hans, is that uh, George Washington Wilson had a highly successful um, commercial business. So um, 
uh, as his business grew, he had many photographers uh, sent out around the world to take um, photographs, not just of Aberdeen, but also of the Northeast, but also uh, uh, of South Africa, Australia, the Western Mediterranean. And then as these kind of pictures came back, they were uh, sold for commercial purposes. Um, and I would say that it's, uh, it's very interesting for us as um, George Washington Wilson Research Center that his collection is now housed in the Sir Duncan Rice Library at the University of Aberdeen. And it's accessible uh, to scholars, but also to the lay public. Uh, um, and we do have also um, several uh, postgraduate students who have been undertaking research working uh, specifically on the George Washington Wilson collection. Yes, and beyond that, the centre itself, as a research centre, functions very much as a hub, as a meeting place for scholars from a range of disciplines who have an interest in visual material, broadly speaking. Art, visual, culture, film, um, scientific imagery, you name it. So my background personally is in the history of art theory. Um, I'm interested, for example, uh, in the history of our disciplines, why we became art history and visual culture, why these things are separate. And a lot of what the center does is actually questioning and critiquing these divisions, these subcategories uh, of academia. And it's trying to, to foster a dialogue between a wide range of disciplines who have an interest in the visual through a range of events and um, initiatives. I see, right. And, and uh, Dr. Cassini? Yeah, um, I would say that I'm a little bit undisciplined, <laughs> so to say, um, in the sense that I have um, I've been trained uh, in philosophy back uh, in Italy, and then I took a PhD in film and visual culture. And I've been working a lot on visual culture of science and medicine. Um, I'm interested particularly in the way in which visual material of different kinds is used, uh, created, used by scientists, uh, but also in the way in which uh, it is then transformed uh, um, and um, reappropriated by artists. I would say that uh, if I had to summarize my interest in images in a few words, I would say that I'm, that I'm interested in the um, epistemic functions of visual materials, so the way in which um, images are used to explore, transform, and also transmit knowledge. Um, so that's uh, what I'm uh, also what I'm trying to do throughout uh, the research center. Yeah, it was really lovely hearing not just about George Washington Wilson, and that was a lovely overview about the center and your individual works. So what I can gather is that the GWW Center clearly also takes an interdisciplinary approach, uh, bringing together art, medicine, and science. So either of you could answer this for our listeners who would, like myself, love to hear more about art science, like what it is, what it entails, and what you feel its particular research strengths and pathways are. I would say that if I may start and then I'll leave the word to Hans, um, I would say that an important thing for me is to be clear. Art and science are not two monolithic entities and there's no such a thing as a third language, a little bit of an art science, which is a, a kind of mix between the two. 
um, both art and science are historically situated and uh, and sometimes it would be better to be a little bit more specific to actually talk about uh, for instance natural philosophy if one refers to uh, to uh, science uh, um, that you know, um, in a specific historical period, etc. So I, I sometimes prefer to talk about uh, um, perhaps uh, the uh, techniques or the um, uh, specific practices that we can then uh, gather together this very big and broad concept of art and science. And the other thing that I would like to point out is that I think what is uh, important to um, highlight for our listeners is that um, contrary to what uh, um, perhaps uh, um, common understanding things, art and science um, share the drive towards experimentation rather than creativity. So um, I think that's an important aspect of what we are also trying to do at the research, through the research center. So it's really experimentation, the glue that holds uh, the two together. We're often prone to think about the arts on the one side and sciences on the other hand side. Mm -hmm. What happens when we think about knowledge in that way is that we exclude a lot of things that also happen in between. Shalini, you're a sociologist, right? That's one of the classic disciplines that have been often proposed as a third way negotiating between quantitative methods and creative methods. Mm -hmm. And what we're keen on fostering is a dialogue that does not only look at these extreme poles, if you want, but also looks at the wider conversation that we can have with disciplines such as archaeology, um, medicine, anthropology, you name it, that might also, uh, in their own ways, bridge between different poles and techniques of creating knowledge. The Centre, for example, tries to host a number of events, such as reading groups, that each semester invites members of a different disciplines, music, medicine, philosophy, archaeology and tries to just initiate a conversation between constituencies that are normally separated in order to see where we might find overlaps, for example, in techniques of working, uh, in the very things that Sylvia just uh, indicated. And um, yeah, again, this is an experimental approach to a certain degree. It's, it's excellent because, um, you know, uh, as you mentioned, I'm so new to sociology and I'm trying to look at this experimentation myself and I'll, we'll speak more about it uh, as we go along. But it's really interesting. I think it's like a sort of continuum, I think. Uh, so what, what do you think, uh, Ian? Yeah, it's, just, it's interesting that uh, you're talking about the you know, cross-collaboration between disciplines and I was just wondering what you think... Um, was driving that return almost to, to generalism versus specialisms. And um, do you think it's in any way related to uh, the pressure that arts and humanities are under from, from you know, the, the emphasis on STEM research and, and funding? Or is there something else driving that? To me, uh, I think there's certainly a pressure on the arts and humanities to uh, to enter into a dialogue with the um, so-called STEM disciplines and vice versa. But I think one of the key things is that most of the most of the really pressing issues that the world faces nowadays require a multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary approach and a collaboration among different disciplines. So I think that there's 
really the emphasis uh, towards collaboration and interdisciplinarity because we are becoming aware that the, the urgent issues, and I'm thinking about climate change, for instance, or social inequality, cannot really be tackled by a single discipline. So we better be working together. This is my uh, um, answer. As you mentioned, Dr. Cassini, the general push we are seeing is towards interdisciplinarity and funders and everything, looking at researchers, taking up interdisciplinary study. But researchers often are still faced with this very difficult question regarding career choices uh, within <laughs> academic disciplines, like perhaps myself. Uh, what do you feel the future holds for researchers like us aiming to for a career? <laughs> that, that, that's an excellent question, I think. Um, one that most of us face at some point give in it our to lives. Us softly. Let's give it to us softly. <laughs> Institutional pressures exist. There's no mincing your words about that. So interdisciplinarity is certainly something that is sought after by institutions that appears also here at Aberdeen in many of our public facing materials. And that's serious, of course, we, we take that very seriously. But for early career researchers, I think it's also fair to say that your job eventually will probably land within a department that has to deliver an undergraduate program mm -hmm. and that has to um, be aligned with also, for example, one of the REF, um, the Research Excellence Frameworks categories. So uh, in a sense, you still need to fit, I think, in a certain disciplinary uh, a mode. However, I would not want the arts and humanities in this situation to sell themselves under worth. Um, even if you are an interdisciplinary sociologist, an interdisciplinary uh, art historian, I think it is important to stress simply what we can also bring to debates within sciences or medicine. Look at what we're doing, for example, at the George Washington Wilson. A lot of what we're doing is work with medical humanities, for example. And medics at the moment are tremendously interested in the way that information about health is communicated, yeah. communicated visually, for example. They call it health literacy, right? Giving people information in a way that they can make their own health decisions. And these are genuinely medical questions, but they also rely on genuine arts and humanities methodologies about how to design things, about how to communicate things. And that is interdisciplinary work that nevertheless relies on disciplinary expertise. And to find these meeting points where different epistemologies can come together, can collaborate together, and can productively create something based on their respective expertise, I think that's the exciting moment where we can be confident in our own abilities mm -hmm. and yet feed into an interdisciplinary collaboration that is for the good of all fields within, say, our university. So, yeah, the work that's going on in medicine, the visual imaging, for instance, that's interesting to you guys from, a, from, a, from an art perspective, visual culture perspective. But you provide to the scientists a, a sort of cultural context for them to understand how they communicate the output, I guess. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's important to, to really highlight that in collaborative work, for instance, in the work that I've been involved with, with, I don't know, biomedical physicists, uh, 
um, it's um, it's quite important to um, stay away from the idea of focusing on uh, only on the uh, final output of the collaborative work, but to um, to really enjoy and pay attention to the process, uh, to the process of collaboration. Um, and what I observed in in my um, uh, in my opportunities of uh, working closely with uh, scholars, but also practitioners outside my own research field, is that um, scientists really get the chance of becoming much more aware of the wider context of what they are doing, of the um, societal uh, impact uh, of what they are doing, but also of the history, very, very simply, the history, for instance, of the technologies, of the techniques and practices that they are uh, involved with, or that they, or technologies, instruments that they are using. And I think it's so important, particularly for um, uh, young researchers who are sometimes uh, uh, almost closed in this kind of silos uh, um, and they kind of tend to lose the bigger picture. So I do really think that the role of arts and humanities is really to bring back this wider picture and to bring back also history, historical awareness. Um, I like sometimes to say to my students when I have the opportunity to um, have in my uh, classes students also from medicine or students who take the intercalated medical humanities program, I like to tell them that I'm in favor of a slow-paced art and science collaborative work. So um, uh, really uh, this idea I think it's a, bit, a little bit about the idea of nurturing a community of art science amateurs, a little bit like what happens in the field of music. You don't have to be a musician sometimes yourself, but you can be an amateur. You can, uh, you know, appreciate music. You can enjoy music. And I think also with art science, but also with science is the same. Uh, I always uh, want to highlight how important it is that students in the arts and humanities feel entitled and feel they have the right, uh, not only the duty, but also the right to uh, engage with STEM, um, so, even though they are not studying a certain discipline. Is, is it science that's engaging with the arts and humanities, or is it arts and humanities engaging with the sciences, or is it happening two ways simultaneously? Is it, is it a welcome collaboration on all sides, I suppose? I think it starts to happen two ways increasingly because a lot of STEM subjects, a lot of people in medicine, I spoke about health literacy, right, also realize that there might be certain shortcomings in their current practice. Speak about an NHS in crisis, right, where they also come to the point, hey, we can't just throw more medicine at people, uh, I mean, as in drugs, and hope it gets better, right? We might also find new ways of engaging conversations about health. Similar things could be said about things like, like data and AI. So last year, for example, we did a workshop um, called um, Art, Data and Patterns of Inequality, bringing together um, data scientists, computer scientists and artists. And a lot of that conversation was simply about what art can bring to data scientists in the first place to make them aware of maybe shortcomings of their own practice. Just an example, a lot of data science, uh, a lot of AI 
is invariably programmed from the perspective of the person programming it. So if that person happens to be a, a white academic who's programming a facial recognition program, well, the chances are that this device is skewed in favor of recognizing, for example, uh, white physiognomies. Um, often this is done without malicious intent, I would say, yeah, but simply enough. because the person programming it might not be aware of certain biases, might not be aware of certain risks that their practice entails. And I think that's increasingly where also STEM subjects see the need to maybe decolonialize their practice yeah. and find ways to engaging with the biases and shortcomings of what they're doing. And this is exactly where they then need expertise from arts and humanities practitioners. Yeah, rather than just producing the technology, the technology because they can, but thinking about what, what the societal impacts might be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting how uh, arts uh, and humanities are perhaps sort of questioning scientific essentialism and also, you know, addressing inclusion and exclusion issues. And it's interesting to hear about, uh, you know, this bias that can come into, uh, understandably, because people programs and AI is created by people. So it's really interesting uh, hearing about how these collaborations are, uh, in fact, sort of bridging this gap and perhaps, you know, promoting inclusion and a sort of two-way uh, stream of academicians working together. So coming down to uh, more specific uh, initiatives within the center, I was just reading about some of the um, initiatives that uh, either of you could answer this. Could you tell us a little more about this picturing science and immobile choreography. Yeah, yeah, of course, I'm happy to do that. But the Picturing Science um, is a reading group, uh, as uh, we mentioned before, the uh, George Washington Wilson Center is running every year um, reading groups um, devoted to uh, the dialogue uh, um, between different disciplines. And um, a few years ago, I uh, set up this uh, specific reading group called Picturing Science, which had really the goal of bringing together scholars at the University of Aberdeen uh, interested in tackling the um, field and the problems of visual culture from their different disciplines. Um, so. Picturing Science is a reading group. Um, the Immobile Choreography Project uh, uh, was uh, really the result of a collaborative work that I undertook with the Biomedical Physics uh, um, in the uh, School of Medicine at the University of Aberdeen and the artist Beverly Hood, um, Edinburgh-based artist Beverly Hood and the Sati Art Space the art gallery uh, that is present in Forrester Hill. And going back to what Hans was um, telling us before about data, well, the project in mobile choreography was very much about, uh, uh, if you want, about data. But data not uh, just obtained um, by uh, automated algorithms, but also data that come from human exchanges and even from the kind of uh, very personal, the, the kind of phenomenological experience, for instance, of what it feels like being inside a scanner. The project was related to uh, the um, 
to the development of a new type of MRI technology, a new type of scanner that the biomedical uh, physics department has been developing at the university. And the artist and I were um, interested in exploring and bringing to the foreground, bringing back into the picture, the experience of the patient who is the final user of these cutting edge technologies. So uh, immobile choreography refers to the condition of stillness, immobility that um, you are forced in when you undergo a, a medical examination. Um, it's interesting because to be honest, that scientists that were, they always have the patient in mind, even before clinical trials start, but they, they have to make this effort of um, imaging the patient and, and what the patient would feel like and what uh, the patient would uh, uh, really um, experience uh, using a new type of technology. So they need speculative thinking. They need, uh, uh, and this is really where arts and humanities researchers or even designers come into, into the picture, really to bring this kind of um, uh, first-person perspective back into the picture, to kind of uh, anticipate if you want the patient in this case. So these projects are not simply, are really not about public engagement with science, but they are really helpful to scientists to better understand, for instance, the needs of future patients, the needs of uh, the final users of a technology. And the, the project, I, I just want to highlight also an important thing about that project that the project also entailed an archive-based exhibition telling the history of um, magnetic resonance imaging development at the University of Aberdeen. And, and that was very much based on archival research undertaken by myself uh, using the special collections at the Sir Duncan Rice Library. So this brings us back, if you want, to really the, the, the goals of the GWW Center is there anything um, that you have lined up, events that are coming in the near future that you'd like to talk about or, or highlight for our listeners? We do, and I have to leave that to Sylvia because she's the only one who can remember the title of next conference. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's, uh, um, yeah, actually, I, I, I know it's a very long title. It's, um, no, the, the, the short version is All Change, New Directions for Scottish Medical Humanities. And it's a, a, a really a medical humanities one day event that we are um, hosting at the University of Aberdeen um, and uh, uh, together with the SATI Center for Teaching and Learning in Healthcare. And it's going to bring together scholars and students to uh, discuss uh, the process outcomes and possibilities um, in uh, this field of medical humanities using a combination of um, papers like keynote speeches by prominent scholars, but also um, workshops. So it's going to be a very interesting and active day in which participants can um, join uh, uh, either in person or online. Perhaps, Hans, you want to kind of mention maybe also uh, the, the, um, the initiatives that we have, uh, if you want, line up for the next, uh, next semester, the reading group for the George Washington Wilson Center. Yeah, so we'll put uh, we'll put details of that up on the podcast notes. So 
Uh, and is there a site that's got more details on the George Washington Wilson website? It is abdm.ac.uk slash gww. <laughs> that was quite good. straightforward, <laughs> isn't it? That was a real radio voice. That and was, what, was it there? Yeah. Sylvia also mentioned uh, another reading group will be coming next academic year, this time in collaboration with the French department, mm-hmm. uh, where our colleague Francisca Louvagy is uh, running a new project on comics and genocide. That's a how, nice how cheerful, right? Yeah. So, um, but again, uh, it's about communication of maybe traumatic historical events like in popular visual culture through comics and yeah. how, how, how graphic novels can be an educational device uh, for, 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 for teaching you know, uh, groups affected by such traumatic events, but also to communicate that to people from uh, in other countries. Perhaps, Hans, we can uh, uh, and we can say that the, the center, the GWW center, is open to all. So you, you today you met uh, um, Hans and I, but uh, there are so many researchers involved and many uh, students, Emlet uh, students, PhD students who are undertaking research, who are writing uh, for our blog. Um, so I think that it's important to, to just highlight that if you have ideas for activities, for talks, uh, if you would like to give a paper, if you would like to um, talk about a possible event, a collaboration, do get in touch with us and we are happy to listen, to meet and to, to accommodate uh, your uh, requests and needs. So it's a very, it's a very open center and we actually do need the collaboration of everyone. Thank you, Dr. Cassini. It was, re- I mean, the whole conversation itself has been sort of absolutely positive. Uh, you know, as I'm yeah. sure uh, Ian agrees around how how much possibilities are open for, uh, you know, these disciplines that have been considered so so separate to you know bridge this gap and uh, you know hearing more and more about AI and about you know the new collaboration that you speak about it's it's been so positive so i was just going to come to that but you've already answered unless there is anything more that you'd like to tell the students you know that would want to take up courses your undergraduate course or anything else you'd like to add add to uh, you know, student involvement, participation. They should, of course, attend all of our courses. Yes. So do come and study with us, both in visual culture and art history. Um, but uh, like I said, especially for postgraduate students, we're extremely keen to hear from anybody who has an interest in visual material, who might find that their interests in visual material sits a bit at the margins of their own discipline. Um, we'd be very keen to curate a space where you can explore exactly these ideas. For example, by hosting a reading group or if you're a PGR, by, by giving a paper uh, in one of our seminar sessions. So yeah, all welcome and open to all, as said. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you both so much for um, giving us such a great insight into the centre and, and both of your work. Yeah. Thanks for having us. I'm delighted to, to be here. Yeah. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.